Good evening. It's good to see you. Um, hope you're doing well for a Sunday evening. If you're visiting with us, uh, you are most welcome, and it's uh, it's great that you're here. Uh, we're studying as a church. Uh, we're studying, and most of you will know this, but we're studying the letter of James in the New Testament, uh, and we're going to pick that up this evening from James chapter one, from verse nineteen, reading to the end of the chapter. Uh, challenging, challenging words. This is what God's word says. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world, by the world. Let's bow our heads, let's pray. Dear Father God, we thank you for these words. We thank you for your servant, James. And now, Father, would you come and speak? Speak, O Lord. Make these words live for us, we pray. Apply them, however painfully, to our lives. For your glory. Amen. Well, we've been studying this uh, letter from James over the last few weeks, uh, and we've already seen, I think, just how counter-cultural it is. It's a, it's a, a letter that turns our culture on its head. Uh, we are, says James, to have joy in the middle of trials and hardship. You're to, uh, to be joyful in the middle of hardship countercultural. Uh, in fact, it, James says people who are poor and in poverty are to boast about their lowly position. That's not something that our culture readily does. We've seen not just how countercultural his teaching is, but we've seen how challenging his teaching is. I, I think I said in the first sermon that he, he sounds like a, a, a preacher, a preacher who has then been encouraged to write down the things that he has preached about. And his teaching is really challenging. We're, we're not to be double-minded, unstable. We are to pray for wisdom, 
wisdom that God will give us if we ask for it. We are to persevere. We're to stick in. We're to keep going in difficult times. And says James, when the temptations come, and they will, don't blame God for the temptation. Don't say that God has tempted you. He hasn't. Wrestle with your own evil desires. Well, tonight, there's going to be more challenge and more countercultural teaching as we look through this letter. And please, please remember, it's important that we set this uh, little memory bubble, if you like, before we go into the next bit. This letter is written to people who proclaim to be Christians. This is not written to people who are outside of the church. This is written to people who proclaim to be Christians. So if we call ourselves Christians, then these teachings apply directly to us. Okay? So we can't get out from underneath um, the challenge that is coming. And I've got three headings for you this evening. Um, the word planted in you, verses, we're going to look at verse 19 to 21, the word planted in you. Secondly, do not merely listen to the word, um, verses 22 to 25. And then thirdly and finally, the real deal, the real deal, verses 26 and 27. So the word planted in you. Now, it, it, I mean, it has to be said that for an extrovert Irish man like myself, the opening verses of what we read this evening are something of a particular challenge. So they are. My dear brothers, everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Um, now, I, I think you know me well enough to know that I am not naturally slow to speak. That's not something that people would describe me as being. And you'll also know probably that I'm not always particularly good at listening, usually because I'm speaking. And it, 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 it is tempting, right, to, to read this, this a command to listen well, right, um, and to, you know, not to speak too much as, as if it's unconnected to what goes before, right? It's quite tempting to do that. It's tempting to do that throughout James, actually, that we read it almost like we would read Proverbs with little kind of one-liners that you could stick on a coffee cup or a t-shirt, or to see this as actually just kind of general good life advice, you know, how to win friends and influence people. Don't speak too much. Listen. But the thing is, it's connected to the previous section. See, James knows that, that whoever we are, and some of us are thinking, I suspect, well, I'm a very good listener. And I don't talk too much. I'm okay. Check. But James knows, you see, that when whatever our natural disposition is, when we're in the midst of the trials of life, that's where James starts, when the trials come, it becomes exponentially more difficult to listen well. It's all too easy to be consumed by the trial in our life. In fact, that becomes the only thing that we talk about. We no longer listen. And it's very hard to listen to the advice, let alone to act on it. 
in the middle of the hardships of life. But, says James, take note, and even in those circumstances, be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow, slow to be angry. So it's because our anger doesn't bring about the righteous life that God demands. We must, in short, as Christians, stay focused. Accepting, and by implication, applying the Word of God in our lives. The Word of God that saves us. The, the, it's interesting, that little phrase, isn't it? The, the Word of God that, that, that saves us. The Word that's been planted in our lives and the Word of God that saves us. The best way, I think, to explain what I think James means here is to go back to our study of Exodus. Right? In Exodus, the people of God, you know this, were rescued from death and they were saved and they were wonderfully brought through um, with a miraculous rescue through the Red Sea. It was all by the hand of God. It was His good grace alone. In fact, um, through that Passover and the blood of the Lamb, we've celebrated that in a, in a modern sense in our communion this morning, we've been, or this evening. We've been rescued. And once through the Red Sea, however, they were given the law. They were given literally 10 words from God to live by. But in Exodus, what did the people do? What did they do next? They were given the law to live by only after they'd been saved. But what did they do next? They got angry and they grumbled. And they moaned, and they didn't listen in the midst of the hardship and the trial, and it was hard for them. There's no water. What am I going to do for water? Well, I'll provide water for you. I've got no food. What are we going to do for food? Well, I'll provide food for you. They refused to listen to God or his chosen leader, Moses, and they disregarded God's commands. You see, this is the truth that James wants us to see. It, 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 it seems strange to our ears to see James say that this word that has been planted in us might save us. Surely we say it's a one-time deal. We're saved. We can remember the date and the time, some of us. Well, that's true. We accept the gospel and we are saved. But that same word, that same gospel continues to grow in us and must continue to sanctify us. Sanctify is one of those words that just means make us more like Christ. That's the plan, that we become more like Jesus Christ. The gospel word doesn't simply save us, it teaches us and shows us how to live. And how do we know that word has been planted? Well, how do you know anything's been planted? The same way we know any seed has been planted because there's growth. There's fruit. Now, this is where it gets uncomfortable. 
Because you see, James is saying, in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the difficulties, are you simply grumbling? Are you listening? Are you talking? Are you growing? This is the reality of what it means to persevere. Are we accepting the word in our life? Are we using it as an opportunity to be more patient, kind, faithful, loving, joyful, gentle, peaceful, patient, self-controlled? Those are the fruits of the Spirit. Is the word that has been planted in me actually showing growth and actually showing fruit? It's challenging stuff. Am I different this year than I was last year? It's going to be difficult to see it over the course of a day, you know? Don't, don't beat yourselves up too much. Don't expect that by next week you'll have all of these things sorted. The question is, are we, are we growing towards Christ or moving away? So the word is planted in us and says, James, point two, we are not merely to listen to the word. Now, I don't know if you noticed, there is an interesting little parallel here. On the one hand, we can be people who don't listen and uh, are too busy talking to listen. We don't listen at all. Like I say, you might think, well, that's Richard, but it's not me. I'm a good listener. Good, says James. So you listen. Excellent. But do you actually do anything with that? See, there are people who don't listen at all, or don't listen well, and then there are people who listen and don't do anything with it. And James has his own little illustration here to explain what he's talking about. Uh, Anyone who listens to the word but does not do it, do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror... See, I'm trying to get, so you, I don't say that with a normal Northern Ireland accent, because um, nobody understands what I'm talking about. It's a mirror, um, just so we're clear. Um, but I'll, just for your benefit this evening, I'll call it a mirror. Um, and after looking at himself in the mirror, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Now, sometimes I've heard this little illustration that, that James gives about the mirror taught like this. That, well, there's, you see, there's a difference between glancing in the mirror and running out the door and looking intently, Right? Okay. But in the context of this chapter, that's not what this illustrates. It's not a matter of how long you look in the mirror. 
That's not the context that this illustration is set in. Okay? The issue is not how long the person looks in the mirror. The issue is what do they do with what the mirror has revealed? Now, you see, this is where it gets, it gets uncomfortable. It's been really uncomfortable for me this week. Really uncomfortable. See, we can sit down with our Bibles. The mirror is uh, the Word of God, by the way. And we can read them carefully. In fact, when you're preaching, believe it or not, you get commentaries out and you have commentaries sitting there. You see, and you read the, you read them and you try to understand what it's saying and draw it out. And, and you look very carefully, very intently, actually, into the Word of God. We can intellectually understand what it's saying to us. And, and we should be doing that, by the way. I'm not, I'm not advocating that we don't. Okay? This is, not, this is not an opportunity for anyone to hear, well, I shouldn't be doing that. No, you should. should be digging into the Bible. But we can read our Scripture Union Bible notes. We can read our commentaries. We can dig into it. The latest blogs from the very best theologians and go away completely unchanged. It's a little bit like looking in the mirror before you go to work, standing looking in the mirror, seeing the stain that is on your tie or your shirt and thinking, yeah, whatever. That's the illustration. Carrying on regardless. Now, this, is a, this is a hard teaching. Because uh, our look into the word, into the word must be changing us. And listen. We need to be seriously warned because this is self-deception. If we, and how easy it is, the heart is so desperately wicked, right? That we can in fact think that we are religious. We can in fact be reading the Bible and be doing that thing that all Christians do, and I, I for sure do. You know, you get up in the morning, I've had my quiet time today. Tick. But says James, listen, he said, in, you're deceiving yourself. Actually deceive ourselves. The Bible is a mirror. And it will show us what we need to change. And we will get wisdom to see God better and to see ourselves better. But we have to act. To James, again and again, if you go, when you get home, go and read it and just look at how many times James says do or does or doing. The imperatives are everywhere. 
do this. Do it. James says you have a choice. You can study the Bible and never seek to change and be deceived, or you can study and act and be blessed. Verse 25. Blessed by the law that gives us freedom. A law that gives us freedom. There's another countercultural moment from James. A law that brings freedom. Well, I have to say, I, as far as I'm concerned, laws often in our culture bring restrictions. They don't bring freedom. That's what our culture feels and thinks. It's actually hard for us to see how laws can bring freedom. Because freedom in our culture is the absence of any restriction. I can do what I want. It's my life, my rules. Do you know, I, I, we all know fish live in water. And they thrive in water. Now, if we lift it out of the water, it is free from the restriction of being in the water. <laughs> it is free finally able to be on land and experience the land and it's free from that terrible restriction of the water except for the minor technicality that it will die. Remove the restriction of the water for the fish and the fish die. Or, or, or what about the freedom in our capitalist society, and this is not a an apologetic for socialism either, but it's just reflecting that our society is capitalist. That, that a capitalist idea that you follow the path of greed. More, 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 more. And in fact, our whole system, by the way, is based on that. A recession is, is simply two consecutive quarters of negative growth. Everything's based on growth. If you're a salesman, you've got to sell more and more and more. It's, it's actually unchecked greed. And we get the freedom to pursue that. Problem is that our freedom to do that severely inhibits the freedom of many others around the world. See, freedom is not the absence of all restriction. It is the presence of the right kind of boundaries. Boundaries that are determined by a creator God who loves us, who made us, who knows us, and who knows what's best for us. So what we find is that as we study the Word of God, as we gaze into the mirror it provides, as we determine ourselves in the midst of trials and whatever life throws at us to be changed and molded by what we see, we become more and more free. It's countercultural, but it's true. And then James in his great wisdom and kindness. I mean, he doesn't just tell these readers, you know, live the faith. He doesn't just say that. And he doesn't tell them what not to do and, and all that kind of stuff. What he does is he says, tell you what, I'm going to tell you what this really looks like in practice. Let me finish chapter one with a couple of, a couple of clues as to what 
Christianity actually looks like in practice? What is the real deal? What's the real deal look like? What does the real deal Christian look like? Well, says James, there are three things. The list is not exhaustive. It's not an exhaustive list. He's just giving three examples. But I tell you this, if I could improve in these three things in my life, I would be a whole lot better Christian this time, next week, next year than I am now. Three things. Number one, the ability to control your tongue. The ability to control your tongue. Number two, a heart of mercy and service for the poor and vulnerable in society. A heart that beats for the poor and vulnerable. And number three, an increasing personal holiness that is not polluted by the world. Now, each of these things, each of these three things will appear uh, in more detail later in the letter. In fact, you could argue actually that, that these two verses, the end of chapter one, James is going to go on to expound it in detail through the rest of the chapters. For instance, the tongue gets a whole chapter of its own in chapter three. But you'll be delighted to know that very briefly this evening, we're just going to look at each of the three very briefly as we close. The tongue. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. You see the deception again? The self-deception is there right again. Deception, deception. It runs all the way through this chapter. Right? And again, James is direct and he's challenging. He says, one of the marks of a growing Christian, a maturing Christian, someone who's working towards being mature and complete, is how they control their tongue. Somehow we are able to convince ourselves that we are doing well in our Christian life, even when we make no attempt whatsoever to control our tongue. That's the deception. We can say things to people and go home never thinking that that might have an implication. Not for them, but for our own religious worth. Because James says that, that if, if you make no attempt to reign in the tongue, your religion is worthless. It's, it, it's stark stuff. I wonder if James had in mind the words of Jesus in relation to the tongue. Matthew 12 verse 34 says, You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? He, he was speaking, by the way, to the Pharisees. He was speaking to the religious, committed religious people of the day. Pharisees get a bad press, and sometimes that's right and legit, but they, these were the good guys in a religious sense. And he says, For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. The tongue has a unique connection to the heart. And these are wise words from James, though we do not naturally think 
of controlling our tongue as a sign of Christian maturity. John Calvin uh, said this, said, a man may steer clear of adultery and sexual immorality, of stealing and drunkenness. The, the big sins. That's, he didn't say that, I'm saying that. The big sin. He may even be a shining light of external religious observance and yet still revel in destroying the character of others, even under the pretext of religious zeal. It's challenging, challenging stuff. The second marker is our heart for the poor and vulnerable in society. The orphans and widows that James refers to were then, they still are today in many ways, the most vulnerable people in any society. And the question is whether our hearts beat with the same heartbeat of God. I've been studying, when I was in Haiti, I started it, and I've been studying it ever since. I've been studying the book of Micah. It's a really challenging book. And uh, in chapter 6, God says to his people, I'm paraphrasing here, he says, I don't want your religious observance. I don't want it. I don't want all your religious paraphernalia on its own. I want you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what I require of you. In Isaiah 1 verse 16, he says, take your... Isaiah says, take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong and learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. The very heart of God is for the poor and the needy and the marginalized. In a really meaningful, tangible sense. Not just lip service. And listen, in in spiritual terms, right, that's us. We were pitiful and needy and oppressed and wretched. And we needed rescue. And our God gave everything to rescue us. That's his heart, is to rescue, to lift up. And he demands that his people, his rescued, redeemed people, have the same heart. And it doesn't just mean a few quid in the bucket. No, this means making the church collectively a community that includes the widow and the poor and the needy. Now that's going to make church uncomfortable. We do that, it's going to make church uncomfortable. But then, church should not be comfortable. It should be a place where you find comfort. I was reminded recently by one of my friends that the most commonly used complaint about Jesus Christ. Does anybody know what it was? 
The most common complaint of Jesus Christ is that he was a friend of sinners. You are with adulterers. You are with tax collectors and sinners. Our heart has to beat with the same heartbeat of God. And then finally, says James, do not be polluted by the world. Back to this countercultural thing. James says, do not take on the values of the world. Do not live like this life is all that there is. In the midst of everyday life, Monday to Friday, we are to be different. We are to march to a different drum. And that's going to require discipline and effort. Not being polluted by the world, by the way, will require looking in that mirror and making the changes. These words are hard. They are difficult. They're challenging. I know that. I've, I've been challenged by them all week. And I know it's Sunday evening and I know we, I don't want to send you home depressed. You know, it's all challenge. It's been all challenge today, Richard. I don't want you to go home thinking, well, I'm depressed. I can't, I can never do that. I can't do any of that. I can't do any of that. Well, the good news is, on your own, no, you can't. That's right. On your own, you can't do any of it. But the better news is, we were never meant to. Jeremiah 31, verse 33 says this. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I'll write it on their hearts. I will be their God. And they will be my people. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we thank you that we cannot do it on our own. We were never meant to. That you will come and through your Holy Spirit, you'll give us a new heart. You'll give us a soft heart. You'll bring us from death into life. And you desire to change us, to grow us, to shape us and to make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. To make our community, uh, uh, our church community, that city on a hill. So that we would, our hearts would beat with the very heartbeat of God. That people might be drawn to you for your glory. Amen.